More grace, everybody. This is yours truly, Private Karn, and we've been in the middle of a series entitled, Is Your Love Right? You know, this is part three, and I just want to encourage you that if you've not heard part one and part two, um, to go ahead and make sure you get those messages, part one and part two, of Is Your Love Right? And to get it in its entirety, of course, you call the ministry and just give a gift of whatever you have give that gift and we'll make sure we get it to you but this is part three of a series and of course we've been talking about is your love right and i've been talking about uh, that the only way you're really going to be able to give that love is you have to have first receive that love john chapter 13 verse 34 it says this a new commandment i give unto you that you love one another as i have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now, that's very important and very powerful because we have been commanded to love others as he loves us. And I want you to understand that the God you serve is in love with you. He's not mad at you. He's not ready to get you. He's not ready to beat you down. But he is in love with you. But you cannot receive, I'm sorry, you cannot give that love until you first open up and allow yourself to receive that love. And a lot of us are mad, we are upset, and we're very condemning because we think that God is like that. You think that God is mad at you. You think that God is upset with you. You think that God has a short fuse. But if you've been listening, I did everything I can to counteract all of that bad teaching and bad religion because there's so many things that we've been taught and made to feel like God is sitting in heaven with a sledgehammer ready to get you. And he's not. He's in love with you. And the reason you're mad and the reason that you're condemning is because you think that that's the way God is. But God's love is much more different than what we could ever understand. He's a loving God. He's rich in mercy. His love and kindness toward us is absolutely amazing. And then in verse 35, he said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. So it lets us know that love is the distinguishing characteristic of a believer for the world to know that you are a believer, for the world to know that you really belong to God, not by your long dress, not because you don't wear lipstick, not because you dot every eye and you cross every T, but love is the distinguishing characteristic of a believer. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, make them one as we are one. That was a prayer that he prayed in the 17th chapter of the book of John, that when the body of Christ will stop fighting each other and hating each other and bickering with each other and being so divided and we become one, that'll be the greatest testimony that we'll ever give to the world when they see how loving we are, how kind we are, how good we are one to another, then they'll want the God we serve. But right now, I'm telling you right now that they're not looking at us and want God because they see we fight each other, we wound each other, we destroy each other. And that's one thing that I want to make my testimony. I don't want to have a testimony of destroying my brother and destroying my sister because I need them. Amen? Exactly. So we went to the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians and we dealt with what love is. 
and what love isn't. We talked about what love does and what love doesn't do. All right. And if we also said that if he demands that we're long suffering and demands that we're kind and demands that we're patient and that we don't envy, that God would never demand something that he doesn't do and is not more. If he commands me to be holy, it's because he is holy. If he commands me to love, it's because he is love. According to 1 John 4, he that loveth not knoweth not God. I believe that's verse 8. For God is love. So if God commands us to be long-suffering, it's because he is long-suffering. And he is kind. And God is love, and he's not against you. He's not mad at you. He doesn't look at what you do and say, I don't want to have anything else to do with you because of what you did. And the reason is because you are a new creature, (laughs) and God is spirit. And whenever God relates to you, he does not relate to your flesh. He does not relate to your soul, but he relates to your spirit. St. John 4, 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Isn't that what the word of God says? Well, I believe the word. And if the word of God says that, I believe it. Well, I'm new in the spirit. And because I'm new in the spirit, guess what God is? I mean, guess how God sees me? He sees me brand new, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're not going to be new. You are new. So God is not imputing your sins against you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but he commended his love towards you, according to Romans chapter 5, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen? So I want you to see that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind, envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, and it is not puffed up. Are you hearing me? That's what the word of God says about charity. let's, Let's look at that same scripture in the NIV. Let's see what the NIV says about 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. You should look at it because a lot of times when you look at these different versions, it it really gives you a, a very good understanding of it. Look at what the NIV says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And it is not proud. That's a good version of it. Let's look it up in the Message Bible. The Message Bible is one of my favorite versions of the scripture. Let's look what it says in verse 4. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off on the handle. Whew. Now that is powerful when you're dealing with the love. But let's look at the 13th chapter of First Corinthians and let's try it in the Amplified Bible. 
I mean, this is just so good. I'm being so changed as I read this. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. Now, I'm talking about God. Everything I'm telling you that love is, this is what God is, according to 1 John 4 and 8. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, but God is love which means God never gives up on you. And it's amazing how we think people should be humble and this person needs to be humble. But guess what? Not only should people be humble, according to Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, God is humble. When you look at the 11th chapter, look at what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. This is God. God is meek. God is lowly. And even though he is the almighty God, he doesn't act that way. According to Philippians chapter 2, God, this is just really blessing me. But when you look at Philippians chapter 2, the word of God says, uh, and being uh, verse 7, we can start there. And made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, being made and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, that even though he knew he was God. He humbled himself. He limited himself. He became a man. That's powerful. That the God of the universe, who could hold the whole world in his hand, limited his hand to a body. So he did not just suffer on the cross, but he also suffered living in that body. The body that he lived in, he suffered and he humbled himself. You want to know why? Because he's love. And if you're love, you're not arrogant. You're not proud. You're not boastful. But you're going to humble yourself. You don't always have to be right. Love envieth not. In nothing you have, it desires. All right? That's what love is. So God wants you to know that he loves you so much that you had nothing to offer him. According to the 16th chapter of Ezekiel, the Bible says that when he found us, we were polluted in our own blood. You had nothing to offer God but mess. But God chose just to love you. He didn't want something. He wasn't after something. Because true love isn't loving for something. It's when you love somebody for nothing, not because you're trying to advance in some kind of way, not because you're trying to get up better in status, not because you want something, but the true love of God is a love that loves for nothing. So whenever God heals, God saves, God delivers, he doesn't do it with the strings attached. And a lot of you think that God only heals or God only blesses when he can get something from you. Or because you didn't do this, he's not going to heal you. And because you didn't do that, he's not going to bless you. But that's not the God you serve. That's religion. That's religion who made you feel like God only loves you and he'll only bless you if you do this right and you do that right. As a matter of fact, the word of God says it very clearly that it is not the badness of God, but it is the goodness of God that leadeth man to repentance. And once you understand that Christ died for you, that should bless you alone. Once you get a revelation that before you were born, before you could ever do anything, 
Christ died for you. That should let you know that nothing he does for you is based on what you do. You were not even a thought in your mom's head. And Christ died for you. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. But you were messed up when God found you. You had nothing to offer him. And verse 31 of Romans 8 said, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely Give us all things. You were messed up when he died for you. You wasn't even seeking him. So he did not save you because of you, but he saved you because ah, because of his mercy and his love toward you. If then, how much more would he freely, according to verse 2, 32, give you all things? God does not bless you based on a barter system. He does not bless you based on you doing this right. He healed you according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. You are already healed. He healed you at Calvary, and faith is belief in what Christ has already done. Now, under the old covenant, they had to do things because God only healed on credit because Christ had not already died. But now, under the new covenant, you are already healed. You are already forgiven. You are already forgiven at Calvary. Okay? And it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your ability. It has all to do with what Christ did at Calvary. You were saved. You were healed. You were delivered at Calvary. Calvary. According to the word of God, Christ saved you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He did not wait on you to do good. He did not wait on you to do everything right. The Bible declares, according to Ephesians chapter 2, that you are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You are saved because of what Christ did at Calvary. And if I believe in what Christ did, I'm already saved. Well, you have to do this. You got to confess the sin. You got to do that. And I don't have time to really get into it like I want to. But the way that we call ourselves telling folks to get saved, none of that is biblical. Nowhere in the word of God does it say you have to ask Jesus to come into your heart. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ has raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. You have to believe on what Christ has did. Well, you say, well, what about confessing the sin? Well, let me tell you this. If your salvation is contingent upon you confessing every sin you've ever done wrong, then the burden of salvation is on your memory. So what about the sins that you forget? You have sins of omission and you have sins of commission. Well, there are some times that you sin and you don't know that you sin. Are you going to be gone? Are you going to be lost? Then you go to, most of us will go to 1 John chapter 1. Well, 1 John 1 said, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yes, that is what the word of God says. But if you look at that scripture in context, it's dealing with strife. It's dealing with confession. Even when you look at James chapter 5, when it's telling you to confess your sins, it's whenever there's strife between the brethren for a relationship. <laughs> 
But never did the word of God say that when you go to, uh, never did it come to when it come to being saved and receiving what Christ did. According to Acts chapter 16, verse 30, the word of God declares and brought them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It said nothing about confessing. It said nothing about saying the sinner's prayer. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and your house. You have to believe in what Jesus did. Come on. You have to believe. It didn't say nothing about asking God to come into your heart. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus and that he died on Calvary. And if you believe in what Christ has did at Calvary and put your faith in it, then you are saved according to the word of God. God did not die for your individual sin. It is not the individual sins that keep you out of heaven. According to 1 John chapter 2, the Bible declares, I mean, it's very clear. I have to be very clear. I want to make sure you are, you are getting this. 1 John chapter 2, my little children, these things I write unto you, that, it, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Individual sin is not what keeps you out of heaven. And the Holy Ghost is not around here just beating you up about everything that you do wrong. According to John chapter 16, verse 8, and I know this is going to make some of you mad and you may get upset, but it's okay. The Holy Ghost is not around here beating you down. Verse 8 says, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. That's singular and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 9, of sin because they believe not on me. It is the sin of unbelief that causes you to go to hell. Not individual sin. It is the sin of unbelief. The person will say, well, why do moral people go to hell? I'm going to tell you why moral people go to hell. Because they rejected Jesus and what he did. I don't care how perfect you live. You have sinners, according to what we believe, who don't drink, who don't smoke, who don't commit adultery, who don't fornicate. You have Muslims. You have Buddhists. You have every other religion that lives moral lives than most of us Christians. Why are they going to be lost? I'm going to tell you why they're going to be lost. They're going to be lost because they don't believe in what Jesus did at Calvary. And except you believe in the atoning power of the blood of Jesus, you will not be saved. If you don't believe in what Christ did at Calvary, that he died for your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. That's what separates us from every other believer. Yes, before Jesus died, your sins were counted against you and what you did matter, but not anymore. What causes you to miss heaven now is when you reject Jesus 
And rejecting Jesus is worse than being a homosexual. It's worse than being a liar. It's worse than being a fornicator. So I want you to understand that Jesus, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 32, freely gives us all things. It's not a barter system. I don't have to work to be saved. The Bible says he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who can hold anything against you? It is God that justify. Religion holds stuff against you. That word justify means just as if you never done. God has declared you from all sin, period. I don't have time to go into it, but when you get a chance, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, verse 14, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 and verse 14, he has declared you free from all sin, period. And most of you will not read verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Most of you think that the Holy Ghost is laying charge, but the devil is a liar. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 2 tells us that we are to no longer even have a consciousness of sin. Let me turn to that. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 2. My God, I mean, this is excellent teaching. And some of you, it may bother you, but I don't care. I want you to be free. I want you to be set free from religion and living for God because you love him. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 3, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. And most of you are sin conscious and you're not God conscious. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, it tells you that when you preach law, law, law and tell people what they can't do, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56 says the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. It is when you preach about sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, and tell folk what not to do, that causes you to continue to do it. Oh, you know it's true. You was with the boy that your mama told you to leave alone. You was with the girl that your mama told you to leave alone. It's when you're told not to do it. Adam, you can have every tree. Don't eat this tree. It's whenever you're told not to do something, that's the very thing that you find yourself doing. And when you preach about sin, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, it is what causes sin to come alive in you. Romans chapter 7 says another thing that's very, very, very powerful. Verse 17, for now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Hold on. Okay, verse 8, Romans 7 and 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived. 
when you're told what not to do. You wake up sin. That's Romans chapter 7, verse 9. I'm telling you that according to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh. Sin has been condemned. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, one of my favorite scriptures. Look at what the word of God says. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling us to himself, the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God is not holding your sin against you. God has forgiven you of all your sins, past, present, and future sin that you haven't even committed yet. The love of God never cuts off. Yes, when you sin, you don't feel good because your sin become hardened and you walk away from him, but never him walking away from you. He's not mad at you. He's not sitting in heaven backing up. Look at the prodigal son. Look at the love of the father. The son walked away. The son went about his business. The son did what he wanted to do, but the father never moved. His position never moved because he's in love with you. He's not trying to to get you. He's not trying to destroy you. This is all I have. There's a whole lot more to this message. I wish I had time to minister it to you, but I don't. But you can call the ministry and everything that you need. If you want to hear this message in its entirety, it will bless your life. Father, I just pray that you would give him a revelation of your love like you've given it to me. And this revelation of the love of God has making me a slave to him. I want to do everything he asks of me. Because if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I believe that if you really love him, you'll do what he asks you to do. And it won't be a burden. It'll be with pleasure. I love you so much. I'm praying for you. And until the next one, I, you know, I have another, I believe, two or three messages in this. But this is blessing me. Make sure you call. Get these messages. They'll bless your life. You'll never be the same. Get these messages in its entirety. I love you. And remember this. God is in love with you. Receive his love today. Thank you for listening to the Prophetic Podcast with Prophet Brian Karn. Stay tuned for next week's podcast and visit briancarn.com for more information and to sow a seed into the ministry. To receive this message in its entirety, call 1-855-984-2276 or 1-833-522-5433. More grace, we're excited about your future.